If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25, Romans 1. And uh, following the reading of Scripture, we will sing together the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. You and I as Christians are called to give thanks in everything. And as a way of helping us think through the significance and importance of gratitude, uh, what I want to do is begin with the description Paul has of those who are not thankful, the, the issue of ingratitude, and having then looked at that, uh, look at how we can cultivate gratitude in our lives. And so what we see first of all in this text are the unthankful fools in verses 20 to 24 in particular. And there are several things that we, we see about them. The first thing is they know God. Uh, You see that in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Men know God. Uh, They can see clearly his eternal power, his divine nature, his invisible qualities. Uh, Some of the other attributes of God would be assumed in there, his wisdom, his righteousness, his truth, uh, his holiness. Uh, They know God. They understand who he is, even if they deny it. All men have this knowledge. John Calvin writes, it's not a knowledge sufficient for salvation, but it's a knowledge sufficiently clear regarding the true God so as to leave men without an excuse. 
You see, it's not merely a knowledge that there is some higher power, the big man upstairs or however they may conceive of him. It's not that they know some general thought of a divine being. No, they know the reality of the true God, the God that created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to talk about their response to that in a moment. R.C. Sproul had the opportunity to speak to the Atheist Club at a, a university near him. And he went in to, to talk to them and was visiting with them. And he was, uh, his purpose of his meeting was to try to give them evidences for the existence of God. And he says to them, and I won't be quoting him exactly, but he says to them, my trying to, to give you evidence for God is like taking coal to Newcastle. Now, that falls flat on everyone here except those who are from western Pennsylvania. I get it. I get it. I know exactly what he's talking about. And you get the general gist of it. You can't take something to someone else that they already have too much of anyway. Newcastle had all the coal they needed. They didn't need us to take coal to it. And then he went on to say to them, see, the problem is I can give you evidences for the existence of God, but I don't need to do that. You already know God. You already know the true God. Your problem is not that you don't know God. Your problem is you hate the God you know. Well, they almost threw him out right then and there. They were furious at such a statement. But that's, that's the, the issue. That's the truth. They know God. They don't have to be told about God. They know God. It's, it's burned in the fiber of their being, the truth about who God is. It solves the issue that sometimes is thrown up at Christians. What about the innocent native in Africa? Well, there isn't one. All men know the true and the living God. Well, what are their responses to this knowledge? In verse 21, we're told, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They knew God, but they refused to glorify him. They refuse to acknowledge his sovereignty. They refuse to acknowledge that he is the Lord over their life. They refuse to acknowledge that he, was the, he is the source of truth. Uh, they refuse to glorify him or, or acknowledge that he is righteous and glorious. In fact, they, far from saying that he's righteous, they accuse him of all the evil that's in our world. And they refused to glorify him. And it's, Paul says, nor did they give thanks to him. They gave no thanks to God for uh, the rain and the sunshine, attributing it maybe to Mother Nature. They give no thanks to God for their success at work or their relative prosperity that they enjoy. It's all their own doing. They're self-made men. They gave no thanks to God for any measure of good health. No, it's my doing. It's my diet, my exercise. That's what keeps me healthy. They give no thanks to God for, for any protection he might have in their lives. 
they're not thankful. And the result of that ingratitude to the Lord, there are five things, five consequences to the lack of gratitude. The first is, in, as we see there in verse 21, is their thinking became futile. Their thinking became empty. They create false gods. They create false idols that they worship or they find their allegiance to. Their minds become empty and futile in their thinking. A second thing is that their hearts are darkened. Because they refuse and, and uh, to acknowledge the light that they have in their very being, in their very creation, or in the creation of the world around them, because they refuse to acknowledge what little light they might have, then their hearts become uh, even more darkened. And their lives are plunged into corruption and darkness. Their foolish hearts are darkened. The third consequence of their lack of gratitude is they become fools. You see that in verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They thought they were so intelligent. They had titles and degrees and accomplishments. And they reasoned that, well, no, they're the really intelligent ones, but... The lack of gratitude to God, Paul says, they, though they claimed to be wise, they actually became fools. Now, the Bible, when it's talking about the word fool, it's not saying anything about intelligence. There are many very intelligent people who are fools. When the Bible uses the terminology of fool, what it's communicating, what it's talking about, is it's, it's talking about uh, their, their spiritual corruption of their own hearts. That's why they are fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The writer of Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and understanding. You see, they claim to be wise and intelligent, but their hearts are corrupt. And their minds are corrupted. And they become fools in God's sight. One commentator on Romans says, This is the greatest unhappiness of man. Not only not to feel his malady, but to extract the matter of pride from what ought to be his shame. What they esteemed their wisdom was truly their folly. They're fools. They're not people to be followed. The fourth consequence of ingratitude is that they exchange the glory of God for shame. You see this in verse 23. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They won't 
have anything to do with the incorruptible God, the immortal God, the glorious God. They turn away from him. They hate him. They reject him. And so they will worship something. And so who do they worship? They create images that look like human beings. And they worship these false gods who um, are terribly corrupt in and of themselves in their descriptions of them. But that's not enough. So it isn't bad enough to, to, to worship a man. They then create images out of beasts, out of um, birds and animals and reptiles. And they worship them. They could have had the incorruptible, glorious God, but they refuse him and are left with corruptible things. And that's their God. They're idols that can't speak. They're idols that can't do anything. They can't help them in any way. And the fifth way that is if they're affected by the, a lack of gratitude is we see in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. What a terrible, terrible, terrible judgment of God when he gives men up to the desires of their own flesh and the desires of their own mind and their corruption knows no bounds. Modern science has the history of mankind all wrong. And I'm not thinking here merely of evolution. I'm thinking of the fact that, well, they look at fossil records and see men in a cave and they say, well, that's where man began. He began as a caveman. And over the centuries, he became more enlightened and educated. And now he's uh, exalted in his character and his abilities and the treasures that he has. But the reality is, it's the opposite is what's true. When God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They were beautiful. They were, and I'm not thinking just physically beautiful, they were beautiful in every way. They were intelligent. They had the ability that God had given to them to rule the entire world, to manage this entire globe for the glory of God. They were prince and princesses among people. But within a a generation, what do we find happening? After the entrance of sin, man began to, to, to decline. And within a generation, what do we see? We see Lamech, who is a bigamist and a murderer. And that continued on in generations. Man began at the pinnacle and he became a caveman because of sin. We didn't start low and come up. We started high. And we've come down. The corruption and people will say, well, but look at all the, the things that we have, our computers and our cell phones and all the, the treasures we have that are a part of our life. But what do we see? We see men using their computers 
and getting involved in pornography and the corruption of their hearts knows no bounds. They're the cavemen. They use their phone, they use their computer, they use their car, they use whatever they have for corruption. For sin, the path of sin. They're the ones experiencing degradation because of sin. They know the etern- they know the glorious God, but they refuse to glorify him and they are not thankful. They don't honor him. Do you see the emptiness and the futility of ingratitude? Well, how can that be changed? How can that be transformed? How can we know a different path? Well, in one sense, it's to do the opposite of what we see recorded in this text. The first thing to do is to know God. And we, of course, need the gracious work of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. But we need to know God. We need to cultivate the knowledge of God in our hearts and minds. The true God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. We need to appreciate his eternal power, his divine nature the glorious attributes of God. We need to cultivate that, grow in that, learn that, have that be a part of our life. And of course, it comes to an epitome, comes to fulfillment, comes to great realization in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The father sends his son. He bears our iniquity and his sufferings on the cross so that we not only just know God intellectually and know the, the truth, the characteristics about him, but we get to know him intimately and personally. So that you're able to say, not only, well, I know God, but you're able to say, he's my God. You're able to know the Lord is a shepherd, but more than that, You're able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He belongs to me and I belong to him. We begin with knowing God, knowing him particularly through the Lord Jesus Christ and it sets us on the road to thankfulness. Instead of refusing to glorify God or refusing to be thankful, we seek to glorify God. We worship him as a a sovereign, as the Lord of our lives. Uh, The Lord of not only the world around us, not only the the affairs of uh, the weather and other things, but he's the Lord in our life. He's the sovereign in our salvation. He's the sovereign Lord of us. We worship him, not just, we worship him as, as a just God. That he's holy and righteous and justly angry with our sin. And it's a sobering truth and it's a hard truth. But when we seek to glorify God and to be thankful, we have to begin there. Who he is, what he is like, all his characteristics. We worship him as the God who is everywhere present. He not only has all power, he's always present with us, which is a great comfort and a great sobering reality. We can't escape him. Uh, We need to be sobered to think about 
As one writer says, children sometimes think if they're out of sight, they're out of trouble. It doesn't exactly work that way. They may be out of sight, but they're still in trouble. We think if we're out of sight, we're out of trouble. No, God is everywhere present. It's a great comfort to us, but it's a great challenge to us as well. Uh, we worship God as good. That is a wonderful thing, but it also is a very challenging thing. We worship God as good. Even in our cancer, uh, even dealing with those accidents, those trials and tragedies that come into our life, the crux of thankfulness is that we know we worship and know God is good. The crux of sin really is the denial that God is good. Well, he's not good, so I won't glorify him and I won't be thankful to him. For the believer, we glorify God and we're thankful to him because we know it is he is good. And everything he does in our lives is good. We sometimes say that with a catch in our throat and a tear in our eye, but we know that God is good. And we have to know him and to worship him and glorify him and be thankful to him. Uh, being thankful to him as we do with, in singing and praying and for all the different benefits we've reflected on today um, and thinking about not only the material blessings God gives us, but the spiritual blessings. We thank him for his care. We thank him even for his chastening hand. That's another one of those things that's kind of hard to do sometimes. But David taught us something very important in Psalm 119. He says, before I was, af- before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. And David was able to see in the disciplining and the chastening hand of God, it was always meant for our good. It was always meant to get us back on the path. David was going astray. God chastened him. And now he obeys his word. We give thanks to God with our substance. We give thanks to God for his mercy. And there were five consequences to ingratitude. There are five consequences to gratitude. The first is not emptiness, but fullness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said in the upper room, I've told you all this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Thankfulness cultivates and creates in us not an emptiness, but a fullness in the Lord. Not darkness, but light. Uh, Paul said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Not a third thing is not foolishness, but wisdom. We experience true wisdom in the Lord. 
Uh, let, me, let us turn to 1 Corinthians and we'll look at a, a few different passages in 1 Corinthians. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. <clears throat> And uh, just to begin at verse 18, for the, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, this, of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then if you uh, skip down to verse uh, 30, after some more discussing the wisdom, it, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So it's not foolishness. Thankfulness leads to wisdom because we see where wisdom truly is. Uh, and uh, not shame, but incorruption. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. The great chapter of the resurrection, one of the great chapters of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been, uh, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. And so instead of exchanging the immortal, incorruptible God for shame, we get rid of shame and we exchange shame for the incorruptible, immortal God. And we will experience that glory with him forever and ever. And then just one other passage to have you turn to. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1, <clears throat> Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joke, 
joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So not uncleanness, but purity. When we are thankful people, we don't pursue the path of uncleanness, which the unthankful, ungodly pursue, but we pursue purity uh, to experience the cleansing of God in our lives and the glory of God revealed in our lives. And so we have laid before us here two paths, the path of ingratitude and the misery that will follow that and the path of gratitude or thankfulness and the blessing and richness and fullness that will come through that. May you and I uh, experience by the grace of God the fruit and the spirit of thankfulness uh, that we might bring glory to him and be encouraged by his grace now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the abundance of your love. Thank you for the the warning, the caution about ingratitude and the unfortunate pathway that many are on who refuse to glorify you or be thankful. Help us to know the grace of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, that we would know you fully and truly and be glorifying you and be thankful and experience the rich blessings that you have laid up for us. May you, O Father, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.